welcome everybody to Today in Space for another segment of People of Science. And uh, today we welcome Jane Davies on. Uh, we met uh, online through a correspondence. We'll talk about that later. Uh, but Jane, uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Alex. It's good to have you here. Uh, you're you're on the other other side of the pond over mm-hmm. in the UK, correct? Yes, I'm in London. Yeah, in London. That's amazing. So tell tell us a little bit about yourself and about uh, the the science and what you're you're doing your research on. For sure. So um, I'm a current master's student in digital anthropology, which is kind of a mouthful. But uh, basically, if you go from kind of where anthropology is, so the study of people and culture, it just has it just studies anything to do with how people interact with digital technologies or digital objects so either through them or with them like one person in their relationship to an object could be social media really anything that you can think of that's digital or technological that's kind of where I focus my research in and yeah sort of started in anthropology in my undergrad and then just started focusing in on the digital we can get into that later and basically I met uh, Alex through doing my research currently which is already in digital anthropology. And then now I'm looking into anthropology of space, which I'll tell you all about if you want. Uh, So um, being that I'm working kind of on 3D printing in outer space, when I found Alex's podcast, which focuses on outer space, as well as uh, you run a 3D printing company and work for 3D printers that I was like, this is amazing. If there's a niche, if there's a niche that I have, it's that. Yeah, yeah. I literally, like, because yeah, reaching out, I was like, "Hey, this is really weird, but yeah. can I ask you about your two key interests?" Thank I you. was like, "Please, I could talk yeah. forever." <laughs> but yeah, so any questions from there? Alex? Absolutely, yeah. So like, anthropology, like, was that something that was always a passion for you growing up? Was there a, an anthropologist that you were like uh, thought of like as someone that you'd like to follow their path or anything like that? You know what? not even at all I feel like I was like most most kids being like I'm gonna be a doctor or like a vet um and then I left high school early to become a pastry artist and then that Mm -hmm. fell through so I went to university in just general arts because the system I'm I'm assuming it's the same as the states but um, I'm from Canada and the system there's you can do general arts so you can kind of go in do your first year just tasting Mm. and testing everything to see where you want to fall so like I did a biology course that was terrible (laughs) um and then I took a course in what was called medical anthropology so that was sort of focusing on the culture of medicine and how we've come to the place we are how does that compare to medicine around the world um and then I just got really hooked into this idea um which is really sort of pervasive throughout anthropology, which is uh, making the familiar strange and the strange familiar. So going mm. somewhere you don't know to look back on your own culture, but also using your own position to see what else is out there. Obviously, there's also a big mm. history of colonialism and right. all that problem with an anthropology, but um, anthropologists are trying to do better now and not take advantage of people around the world (laughs) yeah oh and I think I think and all like space too we talked about this a little bit as well like even that idea of colonization I mean it's literally one of the goals to colonize the moon you know and maybe Mm -hmm. the maybe the definition has changed in the culture but yeah it's like you said pervasive (laughs) it's always definitely (laughs) definitely so yeah I just sort of came to anthropology sort of by accident in the same Mm. way that I don't know most of my life seems to go that way <laughs> oh I, I hear you I mean that's kind of that's kind of my story you kind of went after something that really interested you if I have this correct and then you mm-hmm. it kind of you found the path of like oh this is where I can do that kind of thing exactly exactly yeah no oh, that's that's awesome um so you what 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 made you choose the UK and and uh your university that's a good question yeah um so first of all, my mom is British, so I have that really handy dandy passport, which is nice. <laughs> um, and my sister was out here already. So uh, that was kind of like a, a, a move to be able to go be with my sister. But also um, the program that I'm in, digital anthropology, I can, I don't, I've not done my research now, but at the time it was one of the few. There was another one, I think at uh, MIT that was similar, like digital culture. Mm. Um, and I think one in Copenhagen or Denmark, or are those the same thing? Sorry, my geography is terrible. Oh, I'm terrible anyway, too. <laughs> Copenhagen's, 
Okay. Not a class mm. I was good at. <laughs> Sorry, I'm really showing my cards here. Anyways. You're good. Um, yeah, we'll put so it up on the screen few. so we have the correct. So it was one of the few, and I think now the digital humanities in general, so not just anthropology, but you know, so sociology or history are really, really growing. Um, mm. But at the time when I was looking into universities, um, this was one of the few, and also that I had access to it through my passport made it kind of ideal because there weren't really any in Canada at the time. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah that it, it's funny. Uh, for, so for me as well, for uh, going to college, you know, aerospace engineering specifically, mm -hmm. like is it wasn't it wasn't a thing at the time that was available in a lot of different places. So yeah, I kind of was looking at very specific places and then also mm -hmm. locally. But um, that, that's really cool. I mean, how how has it been so far? throughout that journey in the academic life? Is there, is there anything that like speaks out to you as part of the experience and anything that you'd like to share for people who are kind of going down that same path? Yeah, I think, I mean, for me, what was really nice was I took, I think four years out between my undergrad and my uh, master's, which I think really solidified my uh, understanding that like I really wanted to do this program. Yeah. Um, it did help as well in order to get uh, residential fees. I had to be in the UK for three years before applying. So oh, avoiding okay. paying astronomical amounts of money. Absolutely. <laughs> um, that really helped. But um, yeah, I mean, what has been really nice, which is maybe basic, but um, is just the contacts you make and the friends you make mm. throughout the process. Like yeah. get meeting like-minded people who, especially within my program, there are people who came from all different fields and all different mm. ages as well. So getting a oh, sort of that's cool. smorgasbord of yeah. um, perspectives was really cool. Is that sort of the same for your experience? A little bit. It, there's a, where I went to school, uh, Worcester Polytechnic, Polytechnic Institute, WPI. Uh, mm -hmm. It was all engineers. Every major there was an engineering major. So there was mm -hmm. a very in a lot of different ways, you got to see all the diverse disciplines and different ways that people come across anything that's engineering, but also uh, it was very much the same. Like everyone also kind of thought the same. So there was this connection when you were describing what you did, you could ask really interesting questions to the other person. Mm -hmm. So you really you got speak to dive. the same language in a way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So uh, I, I can, I can relate in a, in, in that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It was nice to be able to share your excitement with someone who it's not like explaining it to your grandpa and being like okay I don't even know where to start with you right yeah. now <laughs> yeah no totally yeah like discussing <laughs> discussing what I'm passionate about to my family yeah I love them but they don't but like they, you know it's not everyone's cup of tea and that's fine you know yeah um, like so additive you... manufacturing think yeah <laughs> yeah <track. laughs> yeah no and making those like easy to connect explanations is definitely uh it definitely helps Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah but that's very cool I like I like where you came at I, I, the not the spending four years whether you had that three-year thing at all like mm -hmm. I've I've met some people who went to college things didn't work out well at the beginning they took some time off and then figured out like you were saying what you like, really focused on like this is what I want to do I think that's something that a lot of people miss going to school especially in like a STEM mm -hmm. career you see a lot of people that don't stay in it very long afterwards because it's just, it takes so much. And if you're not really determined, it's, it'll roll over you. Yeah. And I do think there seems to be, uh, I mean, I must be in, in most faculties, but there seems to be quite a rush to, to get through school and to mm. join the workforce. Um, but I just felt like, I don't know, I've kind of always believed I'll have, I'll wear many different hats in my life. So mm. for me, it wasn't a rush. I was like, I'll just enjoy the ride. <laughs> but no, that's great. That's a great I mean, mentality to have about it. Yeah. It's, a, it's, I mean, also, you know, not really knowing what you want to do. I, I think mm -hmm. for the most part, it seems like engineers are pretty driven folk who know what they want. So yeah, we're tormented by needing to solve problems. So this mm. is, there's a lot, <laughs> there's yeah. a lot to do in engineering. So definitely. Um, Were you straight the way through also? From was I straight? Oh, uh, it took high me. School straight? So I went from high school into engineering. I didn't mm -hmm. get any uh, advanced degrees because engineering, it's, it's more of a focus. So 
right. at that point, it's like, if someone, if my boss wanted to pay for it for me to be specialized in something great, but I wasn't going to spend the extra money. Fair, um, fair. But yeah, no, I, I went from there to then a few years of just trying to find an engineering gig and an aerospace mm-hmm. was really, uh, this is 2011 to 2015. There really wasn't mm-hmm. that much available or you were either too qualified or underqualified, mm-hmm. which is most people fall into that. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. it's, uh, it's frustrating, but, but that's part of the, that's part of the journey for sure. And uh, that's why I think the way that you approached it, and that's how I would recommend to a lot of people, you know, I work with a lot of interns uh, at work who come in for like six months, a year. And that's the thing I recommend the most is like taste, try different things, Mm -hmm. because that's basically what I was doing in those years where I couldn't find that job. I was like doing other jobs, learning what I didn't like, and then learning Mm -hmm. ultimately like, yeah, this is where I want to go with it. Mm -hmm, Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But back to anthropology. Uh, (laughs) I was, I was doing, I was doing a little bit of research because, you know, I'm certainly not an expert in it, but I think it's, it's like a fascinating subject to look into, especially like humans, right? Like Mm -hmm. what have we done in the past and how, how do we behave with these certain things through certain times? Is it strange as a, do, do you notice a difference in the way that you might approach digital anthropology living in the now and documenting it as it's happening versus some of the other, like, you know, historical uh, ones or, or different types of anthropology? Mm-hmm. I think it's tricky because at the same time that you're, you're documenting the here and now, as with, I'm sure, many fields, by the time you are publishing work, it's already mm. the past. That's the past, yeah. So you're never really <laughs> writing the present. Like, in a way, even if you're going to, like, Borneo or to, like, the Amazon to study a culture that is... Um, very different from your own Mm. and like you're still you're always going to just be looking at a moment in time it's never going to actually be the present but I I do agree with you it is really fascinating like I mean people who are studying the digital response or digital culture around the pandemic right like that's been a very interesting Mm. way of like population uh monitoring let's say Mm -hmm. uh so I think, yeah, it's it's tricky. Yeah, it is really interesting seeing it as it happens. But I mean, you're always sort of still informed by what's been happening in the past and looking right. back at the same time. Right. And if you spend any time to even think about it, uh, about what you're actually looking at, you're automatically in the past. Yeah. So yeah, that's, exactly. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, speaking of uh, like today's world with the pandemic and how like in two years time, we went from really being on our electronics all the time to absolutely being on your electronics all the time, Mm -hmm. being more tethered than we've ever been before. Is there anything that you take away as a digital anthropologist of what, what we're going through now? Hmm, I'll have to think about that. Definitely from a researcher's point of view, it's been interesting because, uh, I think there were there are certain demographics that it might be more difficult traditionally uh, or in the past to connect with online. Mm. Um, but now, like for example, my field my field work, I've been talking to people around like the states from the UK, people of all different age categories, and yeah. I don't know that necessarily all of them would know how to use Zoom or mm. like Skype or whatever. Maybe five years ago, like I think it's right. it's made people more ready and more able to do that. So that's mm. I mean. Then to answer your question, I guess I've talked myself there. No, no, no. <laughs> um, it's definitely changed um, the speed of communication. I think mm. not necessarily that communication has changed. People have been able to send letters, telegraphs, whatever throughout right. history, right? But um, the way that you have everyone at their fi- your fingertips and they're they're all there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's a great point. It's there's there's a lot there's a lot going on, and I uh, I feel like this is probably the first, as, as the weather gets better, I feel myself like pulling out and starting to like metaphorically thinking about uh, like what I've gone through the last two years, just on a personal level, Never mind what mm-hmm. everyone else is going through. Mm-hmm. Um, this is going to be a, a big onion to unpeel yeah, definitely. <laughs> over the next few years. <laughs> definitely. And I think that's, that's, that'll be interesting with things um, coming out of like both anthropology and medicine, psychology is the the mental effects of being tethered to your computer your device all day 
yeah. don't really know. Like we, this is unprecedented, as they keep saying. Yes, right? the word gets Being used a lot. <laughs> attached. Yeah. True. True. Um. So so three D printing. Uh. Mm-hmm. Let's let's jump there. Yes. So, uh, when was when was the first time that you started connecting three D printing with anthropology? This I can pinpoint <laughs> finally. <laughs> um. It was the, the beginning of uh, my course, so would have been September 2020, mm. and um, I went to a conference that was about uh, like anthropology of space. Mm. And um, do you remember the name of that conference? Oh, no, it's I okay. Think, it's all right. <laughs> I think it was run through the Center of Outer Space Studies at or of Space Studies at UCL. So it's COSS is the abbreviation, C O S S, and. My supervisor was actually presenting, his name's Victor Buckley. He was presenting his sort of projected research, so on the International Space Station. Uh, And he was looking at 3D printing and how technically these objects that you 3D print in space can be space native objects. So within, especially digital anthropology, we look a lot at artifacts and, and material culture. So how people connect with objects and then when you know when you go somewhere else you see how people interact with objects differently somewhere else whereas in space how does that look if we have an object that's made off earth how does that change how people interact with it Mm. so that's that's where i first got interested was just hearing about that i was like oh my god like mind blown Uh, (laughs) there's so many things that are like like even things like liquor people are are launching stuff into space just to Mm. spend you know getting above what you can technically call space like carmen line even if it's like mm-hmm. a weather balloon and people are like, this flew to space and there's a, oh my God, yeah. there's a premium on all that stuff. It's crazy. Totally. I mean that yeah. like space aura, like capturing that. It, I don't, yeah. It's in, like, I mean, collectors are love, love that. Yeah, It's true. That's the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Uh, given the recent news. So we'll have covered this on the podcast by the time this episode comes out, but mm-hmm. uh, do you hear the news about NASA opening up those Apollo uh, lunar soil samples? And no. they successfully planted plants in yeah. the soil without without oh. affecting it that much. They just basically watered it and s- see if they could get a seedling and sprout, and they and they did right, successfully. Right, right. And these were isolated, so not planted on the moon. They're planted in soil that's like right soil big. from the moon, but on Earth. Okay. Okay. Cool. Wow. Yeah. Oh my God. The big news. Yeah. Big news. So that's the first time terraforming. it's ever been done. Terraforming. And to yeah. think like that. Op- before it was a, just a tiny possibility of maybe if you got to Mars, like the, I think the, the Martians are a perfect like example of that, like growing potatoes mm. on Mars. If we just show we can do it on the moon now, we could have a whole space farming infrastructure by the time we actually get to Mars. And then totally. farming there is going to be way easier. Yeah. Yeah. Once think, we get there. <laughs> once we get there. Yeah, that yeah. has to happen. Absolutely. You're right. You're right. It's, it's a <laughs> crucial step on the way there. It is. It is. But yeah, we're in this cool phase where we're testing all that stuff finally. It's uh, yeah. NASA. I've not heard about that. Really That's so seriously. cool. Yeah, it was literally I think two days ago. Yeah. Wow. I just always imagine any soil from Earth uh, from the Moon to just look like chalk, like to just be white. I don't know why. Yeah. Not, but <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, there's definitely it's highly reflective. So I think like a lot of that yeah. is just. Is, is just the sun coming off of it. Yeah, but, probably. Yeah. It's super like spongy and powdery. It, it's it? it's kind of crazy. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Love so, so that's interesting to think about. I, I'm interested to think what you think about from an anthropological standpoint. Would, would you guys have a big interest in the types of seeds that actually start terraforming the moon? Is that? Yeah, I mean, de- definitely. Yeah. yeah, I think that would be fascinating because I mean when you look back on human history in terms of domesticating plants that's a big part Mm -hmm. of it I think uh yeah I'm not so versed in sort of more archaeological or like yeah historic anthropology (laughs) but um yeah I think because I mean also like who gets to decide that and which plant is it there's also um Mm. a film I've got it right down here by Nanoba Becker I probably pronounced that right called The Sixth World Mm. and it's a science fiction film about um, a Navajo person who goes into space and basically on their I think they're going to Mars and in on their space shuttle they have only a GMO corn and basically it starts Mm. to rot and so they're on their way to space and everything's dying 
I won't spoil it. No, it's okay. It's really because I mean, there's already been stuff written about that. Like, which which crops do you take? Which yeah. you know, I think it's totally fascinating. Yeah, I don't know if that no. answers your question very well. But... No, 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 that was that's yeah. perfect. That I, it just makes me think about um, you know, I had the chance to go to the uh, NASA's Veggie Lab in in Florida and. Mm. You know they're they're testing different ways of of simulating growing plants you know on earth and in microgravity mm-hmm. and they're also starting to think of the long-term plan of like if we do send humans and we send them with a lot of different things they are really concerned about the the foods being nutrient dense and being diverse too at the same time mm-hmm. so as much as we would love to have like one crop like you just bring a whole bunch of corn like it's mm-hmm. also like we've got to figure out these other plants that do really well in that mm-hmm. kind of environment. Um, exactly. Yeah. And you don't know, how do you know which ones are going to do well? Like, didn't they grow like pink yeah. lettuce on the ISS? Like, like, yeah. 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 They, they had a salad so, that they made uh, <laughs> yeah. there in gravity. It's <laughs> so, like, how do you know which plants, yeah, will, will work better? I mean, in the, sorry, just a sidestep also. I mean, Please. that's the thing with 3D printing, right? Like it can work in outer space because mm-hmm. there's no gravity that's makes right. it so much easier to build up in layers because you don't have to have true. scaffolding and all that yeah and like the the lack of gravity the layers between to your point are are even bonding it seems at a better you know layer adhesion than it usually does mm-hmm. in earth because it's counteracting gravity and so like they want to it seems I'm, I'm taking my own opinion on this but it seems yeah. like the materials want to come together way more in the zero g um, mm-hmm. and you know, the parts that they printed on the ISS, the ones that you asked me <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. where, where they're holding those parts, which I would love yeah. to know. And if anyone knows, let us know so we can find yeah. them. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> uh, like that's uh, like a fascinating thing to, to bring it back to your, some of your research, like thinking of these first things made in space as those early tools that we find in, in historical context here on earth like mm. making sure that those things are taken care of so that they can be seen and observed later down the line and we understand mm-hmm. where we where we start from. yeah so i guess also to to for some background um for your listeners uh my research specifically is focusing on the first 3d printed uh objects from space i've kind of focused really specifically on the um the ratchet wrench which i'm I believe you're familiar with yes. um, and how these objects have kind of been uh, replicated and seen throughout culture, culture and society, I guess, and kind of, and really like, what are they? Like, that's the thing that's already complicated with 3D objects in general is like, mm-hmm. where is, where is the object? Is it the one that's you're printing yourself? Is it the file? Mm-hmm. And then how does that change when the first one in the public view was printed in space? Cause that gives it sort of like a, a special aura like we were referring yeah. to earlier yeah like a, like an ethos like you know like yeah. this is where this thing came from um mm-hmm. no the 3d printed wrench is really interesting because like that file itself has gone i mean any 3d printing company or like almost most people with 3d printers probably tried to print that thing at some mm-hmm. point so it's it, you mentioned about the like what is the 3d file it's it, it's something that i deal with a lot as someone at, who actually works in 3d printing and, mm-hmm. you know, you had kind of opened up when we were talking about it for the research, I kind of thought about just how strange the concept of like a 3D file is, mm-hmm. you know, and I was explaining to someone the other day, just, you know, I could go off on tangents about it, but it is, it's a real thing. And I think to your point, like it, it does come down to the actual thing. At the end of the day, if with 3D printing technology, it's about what it makes. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's, it is the things that uh, can be made. And those early tools, I don't know, but we'll dig them down and we'll, <laughs> we're mm-hmm. going to try and uh, get you close to them so you can actually uh, do some research on it. <laughs> well, I think that the ones that were printed in space, I, from what I've gathered, they've probably been like destroyed through mm. stress testing, I would it's imagine. probably a good... Yeah. yeah, I was like, someone's keeping it. But I think <laughs> probably it's just like, yeah, it's science. So. I know. I know. Yeah, yeah we you, you, science can't advance without without heaps, unfortunately. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but that's life, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So so let's talk about anthropology. So your your research here is you're you're finishing that up now. Mm-hmm. What's what's that process been like 
for you um if you don't mind like explaining oh, like yeah. how, how you approached it like what were you thinking to do and then how what how do you think about getting that stuff done yeah yeah so uh basically what you have to do within the research process is beforehand you kind of have to have an idea of what you want to look at mm-hmm. you have to go through pretty extensive ethical uh clearance so you have to explain who you're going to talk to why you're talking to them why is it important mm-hmm. what are the possible risk factors for your community like within your master's you can you are not really supposed to work with children but like if you're going to work with children you have to have lots of clearance on that people who are uh yeah like vulnerable in general red flags anyways um so go through that and then basically what i started was i just did a little bit of research trying to figure out where i wanted to focus and then my methods were mainly uh interviews I think the sort of most traditional part of anthropology is participant observation, which means Mm. you go and you live with the community, live with whoever you're you're researching and really immerse yourself and be part of that community. So you can fully write uh, with some sort of, uh, I don't know, gravity, if that's the right word, or like validity. So um, Mm. you can feel like you're giving a true portrayal. Um, Mm. But I feel... I mean, my my field per se is that's the problem within digital anthropology in general is it's kind of hard to have a geospatially located field yeah. oftentimes. I mean, people have done um, really cool work like Tom Bolstorff has done a whole book on or two books, I think, on uh, which one is it? Second Life, the yeah. online platform where you that's have like right. an avatar. Yeah. Yeah. So that's like in a way more bound because at least it's like a mm. place you enter. But um, with mine, because it was looking at an object, it's everyone's dispersed all throughout the internet. <laughs> no, mm. like not necessarily. Yeah. I mean, I haven't found a NASA socket wrench fan club yet. If there is one, mm. that would probably be the place. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I think it's just me. Uh, <laughs> but I'll yeah, do so it. I'll do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, perfect. Amazing. We'll, we'll start it now. Uh, so if anyone wants to join, subscribe. Um, <laughs> but basically, yeah, so I just went through reaching out to people letting them know what I'm doing, seeing if they want to talk to me. Um, and then just kind of loosely interviewing them, not like like having mm. a sort of set of questions, but nothing right. too intense. Mm. Um, so that was involving, I mean, people like yourself, people who are 3D printers, people who have Etsy shops, um, people who I found on Twitter mm. <laughs> who are just hashtagging about like, hey, remember this tweet you wrote in 2015? Do you want to about, which went surprisingly well <laughs> I would good. have thought yeah given the times that's that's, that's <laughs> yeah, really exactly. good <laughs> um I talked to also some uh, like a museum curator where the object has been in a museum uh and yeah that's that's about it so basically just chatting and then mm. what you do is you kind of go away put your head in the books read mm. everything you can that's relevant um and then you just start writing and kind of uh peppering your the narratives you learn from people Mm. throughout the writing that's really cool and I want to talk more if you're if you're cool to do that Mm. uh, about like your your writing process because I'm I've been using kind of like how I write ideas which is really just a whole bunch of like pieces of paper Mm -hmm. all over the place like a madman Um, but I do really enjoy a notebook and making the time for it is there anything that like was there anything that you took that you learn from somebody else or that's been Mm. really valuable to you for that process because writing is classically a really difficult thing for people so I'm interested to hear what you think about it oh where do I begin um I think (laughs) I I don't know that I necessarily have something I I think it's something you need to figure out for yourself Mm. but I mean it it can depend I've never really found um the writing part painful I know a lot of people hate it and like can't get the words out for, they just throw they just fall out of my mouth or like fingers I guess it's amazing but, um, has it always been the case for you yeah yeah like oh, I can that's cool. write for day I mean I can't spell but I can, I can write <laughs> that's <so>. okay <laughs> but yeah I'm one of those people who um I will just write 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 so I'll, if I have like a 3,000 word essay to hand in I'll write 9,000 words and then just nice agonize <laughs> over <laughs> editing it down the editing uh, process yeah <laughs> which editing is my least favorite but um, that's because I do that to myself but I find um, for me that my thinking process is writing I know a lot of people Mm. their thinking is different they need to like you know do webs or right structures I think what I've been trying to do mostly is basically write a structure try and follow it but usually by Mm. the end it's completely different from when I started Mm. Um, but yeah I think 
what's been nice about doing something like digital anthropology is working primarily on zoom especially is yeah. the uh godsend that is transcripts so mm. usually transcribing an interview would take i think it's like an so hour like three time. hours to one hour or more oh yeah so luckily now it's all written out i just have to make sure it's like lines up but uh that means i can quickly take quotes from people plop mm. them in uh but yeah i think it's, it's usually a lot of making loads of different drafts is my writing process which i don't yeah. recommend but that's how it works, <laughs> it works for me. But like you said it works for you like yeah for yeah. for me like i sometimes it, it depends and I, I have a few different tricks that i use for for that kind of thing but like i do use like mind maps if there's you, really yeah. complex things especially for the podcast i do i do mind mapping for episodes um, do you do it like a like a spot like a, a web like start in the middle yeah i'll start with a circle and then that'll grow out and tree off yeah yeah, I learned that uh, when I was I was doing a lot of uh, soft skill training at uh, an injection molding shop. Um, so like personality training and um, how to work with people, that. things like that. So um, and get the most creativity and and then also things like uh, lean manufacturing. I don't know if you've heard about that approach. No. So like GE is one of the famous companies that that uh, pioneers lean. So. It's 5S. I don't know if you've heard that before, but it's a standard of like quality and consistency. So GE wants to have 99.99% of light bulbs work perfectly and be the right quality. So mm -hmm. it's how do you get it down to that 0.01% of, of failure? So a lot of it's big picture stuff, like the Japanese pioneered the, te the technique. Um, kind of, it's a metaphorical idea of like, if whatever your path is or whatever you're trying to do is like a river, like a business is a, a flowing river and there are things in the river that can get in the way and change the flow. And so there's things that you're doing. A lot of it is personality conflicts. A lot of it is the human mm -hmm. beings and like interacting and making sure that if someone's uh, feeling insecure about something while someone else is working, it, like making sure that everyone understands each other, how they think so that the misunderstandings reduce and then we can all work together as a team. Wow. I've yeah. never heard. Of, so like person, like you're saying personality training. That's yeah. A lot of so Jungian <laughs> um, psychological stuff. Yeah. It's, wow. um, it's definitely some of it's scientific, some of it's yeah more woo woo, but it's, it's really powerful stuff. Interesting. Cause yeah. In, in anthropology, they basically, they just tell you to like build rapport mm. and then they're like, good luck. Well, that's, I mean, <laughs> that's, that's at the basis of like what learning like personality conflict and stuff like that is, mm. is just learning how to hang out with someone and, and be, yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So there's, I don't know why we went on that tangent, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> just talking about our really good social skills and how we learned that. For real. For yeah. real. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you mentioned something. So for digital anthropology, do, mm -hmm. Have you started looking into the metaverse and NFTs and is that world, because as far as the metaverse is concerned, you're talking about like, it's difficult to, in the digital sense, be on location with people. Mm -hmm. Is that something that at all interests you to investigate? It's super early, but. Yeah, for me, not so much. There's definitely some mm. of my peers who are looking into that, like especially VR in general. I don't know. I, I know right. Metaverse is like more than just VR, but um, right. yeah, a lot of people are looking into that, like I guess co-presence. Um, mm. I've not looked into it myself. NFTs I've like dappled in, Yeah. but I mean, because that's why I was really also interested in, in this ratchet and what has kind of been a theme a little bit is people talking about what if you could addition the file because then that yes. would make it more real yes um, let's talk about that because yeah, yeah. So like that's something that really interests me with the cross-section that and i think we both have a similar interest in this so mm -hmm. like right now we talked about the 3d file before like right now it's kind of like a jpeg like it's not it, mm -hmm. it's just something that you could transfer it's not necessarily a one-of-one -of, -one of anything mm -hmm. um but yeah from if you could attach those type of things and this is where i go on a rant at work a lot Mm -hmm. uh, is the industry is like not ready for the technology is just not there for a file to contain the stuff that we're talking about where you like this could be like this is the file that the astronauts use to you know repair 
Apollo mm-hmm. 13, right? Like something like that, like having that kind of weight to that something. Um, we just need some people to work on how to do that. Um, yeah. I think the thing that would only make me, uh, I'm not upset is the wrong word, but like, eh, is if they had made this file an NFT that only had one person able to buy it, mm. is that it kind of excludes everyone else. I mean, already yeah. 3D printers in 2014, when this happened, are right. an exclusive thing, right? Not everyone has one at the time sure. and still now, but it's- can use them, the right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, but I think it would be, it would kind of, I mean, I don't think I would be studying this if it wasn't made public because I don't think right. it would have any weight really. It'd be like, okay, yeah. someone bought it at the end, like any other space collectible. I think the fact mm. that it was made public made it so much more exciting and that, that you could own the same tool yeah. Um, so I guess, yeah, if there's a way of additioning it and still giving it freely, maybe mm. would be interesting, but, um, or maybe it, it comes down to maybe the files are, are open source and mm-hmm. it's having the multiples of the things that were, that were made, you know, like if, I don't know, if someone puts a 3d printer up there and NASA's like, Hey, we've got to make sure we hit our budget for, for next year, <laughs> let's mm-hmm. print four of these things and make it so that those those things are are you know uh, what's the word i'm looking for exclusive and yeah. then the rest you know so there's there's a lot of possibility for that to help with space but um the good thing about space is that it's such an open source heavy field at the moment mm-hmm. um nasa being a big proponent of that type of thing um I, I feel like it fits well with with like what we're talking about where like a lot of these digital digital uh what's the word i'm looking for uh items digital objects or yeah AI? objects yeah. but like historical objects like these things can right. still be available to everyone but you know they they have utility at the same time yeah and yeah. i think that's also been a little bit of what's come up throughout my research is um is it the real file like um i was talking to a collector and he was saying he would only want the file if it had basically come off a thumb drive that the astronaut uh, Barry Wilmore had taken from the ISS and given mm. to him. So he, he would need it to be the file that actually went up, not just right. the same file that also went up, but the co- like it's the, still this mm. act of going to space and coming down, which is so important. Mm. Um, so, I mean, that's interesting, like looking at the the history of the file you get like how do you know which one you've got like i mean people can also download them on github or on thingiverse whatever Mm -hmm. but it seems like a lot people who are really interested in space want theirs to come from the nasa website because at least that's the closest that they can get yeah no that's that's a really good point i guess blockchain could help in that in that it could leave a record of like who Mm -hmm. owned it but even like if you had like i don't know nasa has like their own usb drives or something like that that could be kind of cool yeah yeah i think also i mean there's that like thing you have to mention when you're talking about like blockchain or nfts is also the environmental impact of those oh please technologies is that uh they're highly pollutant as far as i've understood because they take so much energy to keep them on the blockchain Mm. i'm not an expert but yeah i've I've heard that of of bitcoin uh specifically i think elon musk made a big stink about that as well um, right. Because, you know, everywhere over the world, but I know China specifically was uh, before they they banned it. Uh, they were buying up huge lots of these computer farms, basically mm-hmm. just dumping heat from the uh, the computers running and mining all day long. You know, yeah, you're just giant hot zones that you're creating, dumping, mm-hmm. dumping air uh, and heat into the atmosphere. Definitely. Yeah, definitely not great. <laughs> well, there's been. Um... I think social, I'm not gonna say anthropologists because they might be in a, in a different field, but they did work on basically a, a what do you call them, computer farm mm. in, in Sweden. That's, I wanna say like a subsidiary of Facebook, but don't quote me on that. <laughs> but basically they were looking to heat, heat a, a city, a town with the heat that comes oh. off of the processing. But that's where it gets interesting mm. from like the anthropological viewpoint is that's great you're using the the energy but then that determines when you have the heat on is like when you're processing oh in the computer so like do you have the heat on all summer as well like 
mm. what happens with those things it's yeah yeah the whole rabbit hole with that oh dude no that's crazy yeah. oh, man we do some crazy stuff and like human behavior is something that i've been uh, learning way more about and some so many of the things that we do that we don't even realize we're doing it uh is kind of crazy and i'm sure that falls into like i feel like that's what you guys are observing as anthropologists a lot is the mm. stuff that we don't even realize that we're doing like in the moment we could feel like our life is going this way or that we're like being really consistent about i guess i'll use an example that i know i'm not consistent in working out and mm -hmm. like being physical like i think i might be but i'm not like yeah. i think there's a lot of things that we think we're like oh no human beings we're awesome there and it's like have you looked at the track record <laughs> yeah 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 exactly you know it's so true it's, I mean, I don't think that probably anthropologists can even recognize those things about themselves, but yeah, you can be like, I'll judge you though. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, is there, is, is there anything specific about like anthropologists? Is there like a, uh, uh, a, a type of anthropologist or like, is, could you like pick an anthropologist mm. out of a room? That's tricky. I would say there's two kinds because there's either really chatty ones mm. or there are quite quiet ones. So it's like, if you're mm. really observe it, like there, I've, I've met some quite um, quiet people who are really good at talking to other people though. Yeah. A, a lot of anthropology is about listening, right. And observing. So you like, you don't sometimes ch being chatty can actually get in the way because right. you'll be talking over people. You're not actually mm. listening properly. Um, so yeah, I, I wouldn't, I, I mean, to me, I'm like, I imagine like archaeologists, which is, depends on where you are uh, mm. in the world. It, sometimes archaeology is considered part of anthropology and sometimes it's like a- I was like reading a, that. I, I didn't yeah. realize that was a thing. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Because like the whole Indiana, so I'm like, if I, yeah. I tell people I'm an anthropology, like, oh, Indiana Jones. I'm like, no, like, right. not really. Uh. <laughs> or like Facebook stalking people is kind of more what I do. Right. But, right. Um, yeah. So anyways, where was I going with that? Uh, oh, we, type of, yes. sorry. I feel like in my That's mind, okay. archaeologists are a type of person, <laughs> but I, I'm sure they're not. I'm sure but within them, because I'm like, I don't know. They seem like, well, like of the earth, really interested in mm. pottery shards. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to air my beef with, with our no, archaeologists here. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> no, that's interesting, because it, it makes me understand more that like it really is for you, for anthropologists, the human connection like the humans mm. are the science so you know having that skill to actually talk to them and be because you can't be well okay correct me if i'm wrong but it feels mm -hmm. like if you don't have social skills it's going to be difficult for you to do good science that's tricky okay i would say yes but <laughs> there are definitely some people who don't have good social skills who've done great work like Great one of observers. the yeah mm. I, do, I i can't speak to his social skills but one of the sort of like founding fathers mm. of anthropology malinowski um he apparently went to the field because i think some because of something to do with one of the wars sorry this is so mm. vague he got like i guess stranded on an aisle he wasn't supposed to stay there as long and mm. he like absolutely hated it did not get along with the local people there but like has written one of the main texts that we work mm. on that we use so i don't know i mean i can't say about his social skills because i don't know personally right. but um i think to a certain point you just need to be able to actually yeah observe and pick things out so i think it's mm. more about being curious is the is mm. the main qualifier for being an anthropologist i think you're it, it, i don't know if anyone's listening who wants to do anthropology but doesn't feel they have good social skills i don't think you that's necessarily the case i think you just need to be able to be curious no thank you i I'm glad to learn about it because it's such a such an interesting field, but it's always seemed like such like a like an Indiana Jones thing. Like like how mm -hmm. do you do that? <laughs> yeah, how, yeah. How do you do this a job? <laughs> yeah, pretty cool. I mean, having like the gift of the gab is always yeah. great because I mean sure. it'll help you in really any field, I think. But you know, you can work around that. Yeah. Um. So let's let's recap your your research, if you don't mind. Mm -hmm. So you've you've gone through this whole process. You've taken a look at. Uh, you've spoken to a whole bunch of different people um, in this space, myself included. Is yeah. there anything that uh, 
you have taken away from it? Um, I think, which we've not talked about, but I think the, one of the main things that I've taken away is how important uh, the, the, the story was. So mm. coming to this late, sorry, but uh, essentially as, as the story goes, uh, the astronaut Barry Wilmore, or Butch he's called, um, in, after the first phase of printing, when they did, they, they basically did a bunch of coupons that were just to test how the printer works. You might know mm. better than me, Alex, on that part. Yep. Um, but after that, he needed a wrench, didn't have the right one for the right job. Kind of, it gets mud, muddy around why he needed it, but that's yeah. fine. And then uh, the people at Made in Space who were doing 3D printing, they drew one up, I don't know, designed one, engineered one, whatever yeah, word you want to use, yeah. in like a couple of days, sent it up by email. And that was different from the other ones because they were all on the hardware that had gone up with the printer, whereas mm. this was the first emailed tool. So I think that added to the sort of like um, like sexiness of, of the headlines, right. like we've emailed a tool to space. Um, <laughs> and I think this kind of like astronaut in need really, really took the public imagination and really allowed people to run with it and like, you know, compare it to the Star Trek replicate, replicator and um, other sci-fi options I think it really kind of made this it combined a real problem with a sort of science fiction scenario even though it's mm. there it is all real it's not science fiction yeah. but um I think that's really something that was really important within this ratchet is that it kind of held, hold, holds that in it and I think the the secondary part of that is it also holds the the narrative of moving off earth right like if we can 3d print tools if we can 3D print anything, it means we can get further and further from Earth because we don't have to bring things with us. So right. it also acts as like a as a starting point of moving away from Earth, moving to Mars, that kind of stuff. I, that's where that's where I've been kind of I've been writing a chapter at the moment, so I'm obsessed with it right now. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, this is great because I don't get to talk to anybody about this. So, yeah. um, <laughs> so like in 3D printing, I so I've worked as an application engineer just to give people some, some context. So like an application engineer, yes, works with like software and stuff like that, but is more, is highly focused on the part that's being made and how it's going to perform. So like, it's kind of all about the part at the end of the day. And even when someone buys a 3d printer, you're the biggest mistake most people make when they buy a 3d printer is I just, I want a 3d printer. Um, and if you don't have, a reason for it you know hobbyist 3d printer if it's cheap that's a different thing but for a company in a business or an organization like nasa to put a 3d printer in space there has to be that that reason to do that and that's mm -hmm. what a lot of the industry is focused on on earth with 3d printing is how do we tell this story to these people so that they buy this and it becomes real they obviously can save money and re re get a return on their investment but at the same time it's about innovating and, and changing things up so you know with the pandemic we saw that huge switch to 3d printing to help alleviate the supply chain issues that we had you know mm -hmm. early the early days i was helping 3d print masks for for people or, or you know ear restraints so that you know you didn't the strings weren't uh pulling on you all the time mm -hmm. and it was amazing how quickly people could get together on that and it like got a whole bunch of people in their basements really jazzed up about like doing something uh to to help and it, it it changed the whole way people look at it i think um president biden the other day had this uh speech i don't know any of the specifics yet but focusing on investing in additive technology for mm -hmm. supply chain issues in the future and i think that's a great i think that's a great thing to start focusing on that and it helps people around the world you can send a file around the world in a, in a second and anyone with a printer on site can can build it it's a it's a really magical thing that we're only just figuring out here and it's gonna it's gonna change the way we do stuff in space yeah i think that's i mean that's such a good point Alex. i feel like that could be a entire dissertation in itself <laughs> is looking at i'm like uh excuse me i need to change my well, no, um <laughs> but i feel like that's it's so true because I, having done a lot of uh, literature in in what like the history of 3D printing, especially in like the public opinion um, and how it was going to be like this third industrial revolution and it was going to change everything. And then it kind of 
slowed down. Like we stopped talking about it for a minute, but I think that this, that the pandemic definitely provided an opportunity to showcase how this like sort of decentralized method of production that's like in the hands of people in their households, like that anyone can really control it. And it can be very, um, what's the word when you can like modify it to whoever or whatever, right? Like, you know, if it doesn't take any more time to make something in blue versus yellow, I mean, changing the filament, I know, but, (laughs) but that's still, yeah. But compared to like doing something in like you can, or sizing different, right? Like obviously you can change the color for any kind of manufacturing, but whatever. (laughs) Um, I feel like it's it's made it people understand and appreciate actually what 3D printing does, even mm. though that has been recognized by scholars for for ages and right. like you know Wired magazine whatever. But mm-hmm. I feel like it's taken a long time for the public and like you know government to catch on. Yeah, no, true, and it's funny because the people that can make a 3D printer aren't necessarily the people like those people are not going to have all the ideas. Like, and a lot of what we do on uh, our Instagram page, because I just wanted to prove out this thesis for myself, was if I show people what I'm printing and what is possible, even if it's something stupid, simple, but if you just show people that it can be made, it gets other people thinking about other things. And I can't tell you how many people have reached out just on DMs and just be like, hey, I saw you print this. Could you, what do you think about this? And it's, something I never would have even thought mm-hmm. about. And it, everyone has that capability. It's just, it, I think that one day we'll, we will get 3D printers to the point where everyone's going to have them in their home. And just like you have a desktop computer or, or a cell phone, like, and at that point, you have all of the material at that point. You, you cut out the middleman of, of the manufacturing and to put mm-hmm. the means of production in the hands of the individual is something that's never happened really. Yeah. In, in history and it has that potential to to change things um but and i think also what what maybe the average person who doesn't interact with 3d printing much might not think about and this is i can't take credit for this this has come from one of my the participants in my research but mm. that you can also you can think of how to engineer things so much differently because first of all if you're making things all in one piece that's different right you don't right. need like nuts and bolts mm. but also you can you can embed things yes. while you're printing. Like there's, you can, you can almost design. I think the person who was talking to me said they, you can design from the inside out. So you don't have to design That's just re- reproducing something, but in 3D printed plastic or metal, you can do, you can think completely differently because there's a whole different rules and mechanics at work. It's, oh man, like I, anyone that's interested in getting into 3D printing, like even if you think it's somewhat fascinating, like, there's so much beauty in from being from a design standpoint. I think one of the things and why I talk about SpaceX so much in this podcast is because of just the way that they do engineering. They don't mm-hmm. look at it as, you know, I've had definitely some weird uh, back and forth and angst from uh, from old space and like NASA in the old days and stuff like that. Um, partly from my struggle of getting into the industry, but the, the approach of looking at it, what is like, what is the best thing? Like Starship is a, is a great example, right? Like SpaceX's next big rocket. It, it, it's the colony. Like it's the thing where people live, you can fly there and you can fly back. That's not possible right now. Mm. Um, and, and that type of big, big picture goal, big risk. That, that's what the Saturn V was. That's what the moon missions were. It, it's taking that approach and 3D printing opens up the engineer to really make things. And anyone like makers are, uh, the maker community is something that I'm so happy that I found because it's just, a, you don't have to be a, like a degreed engineer. I think there's a mm-hmm. lot of stigma that comes with someone having a degree. And believe me, I understand that. Um, but there's so many people that can make things can like, we, we have a a resin 3d printer now that we're able to make basically the positive part of a casting. So we could make jewelry potentially Mm. by printing this plastic, burning it and getting it out and then filling it with metal. Like I can do that in my backyard. Like that's a wild thing and a capability Mm -hmm. to, uh, to allow an individual to do. So there's so much potential 
and I could talk about it forever. <laughs> I know, but I think it's it's unfortunate that that 3D printing kind of, I mean, from my perspective, I could be Please. wrong, but kind of get, has this like, it almost seems like gimmicky for people who don't really mm. under, understand it. So like, oh, create like a 3D printed twist tie, amazing. Like, yeah, I think there's there's a part of it that is so cool. And like, I don't know if misunderstood because maybe that's just the corner of the internet I exist in, but. No. It's pervasive yeah. in the industry too. I mean, like, like even plastic printers to a certain, you know, the, a lot of the things that people print are gimmicks um, mm. because they're trying to sell stuff, right? Like you yeah. can give away a gimmick really easily. And I think, I think that's part of it. Part of it is also like you mentioned before, it moved so quickly. The, the industry and the expectations, the, the space industry did the same thing where we thought we would be on the moon and Mars and traveling mm -hmm. through space and have flying cars and that didn't happen <laughs> mm -hmm. you know and we're in that period right now with 3d printing where we're only just starting to understand what really can be made and and changed yeah. and that the work a lot of people have been doing to catch up the technology is finally starting to hit the ground so yeah i think it's so interesting though that 3d printing and, and space exploration or space aerospace sciences have kind of had the similar trajectory that's been set in place because of science fiction. Like mm. we expected we were going to be in space because of all different kinds of science fiction, including like the Jetsons, if you call that science fiction, I don't know. <laughs> but even like with 3D printing has been in many different forms, like in terms of additive manufacturing or rapid prototyping within yeah. science fiction that you just assume like, okay, why can't I have my food on demand? Right. You know, whereas right now we are like 3D printing like goo. That's kind of yeah. as far as you can get for food. But yeah, I think the expectations were just made so high because of these mm -hmm. like visions of the future. Yeah. And I wonder if that's just like a, a technology thing because I, I don't know if that's mm. the case with everything else because maybe everything else had like a utility immediately where this mm -hmm. is kind of open-ended. It's almost magic in a, in a certain sense. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Yeah, I guess if there was like really janky teleporters we'd be like mm. okay yeah, I, uh, I think i'm yeah. good yeah yeah <laughs> i don't i don't want my arm like coming out of my head or something yeah yeah, like yeah. ideally <laughs> not yeah <laughs> no no um <laughs> but jane thank you for like coming and chatting about this i'm really excited to see where where your research goes and and how how that final uh final paper gets gets done yeah and, what's what's next for you like after this paper i'm sure you're not thinking of anything else but um... so my my late my la latest goal <laughs> was to enter the space sector but i don't know if you've heard alex but it's a very competitive difficult industry what? to get into jane yeah i don't believe this <laughs> i know i it was it it shook me to my core um me too. Because <laughs> I would basically, I would love to work in like HR in space because it's just mm. like gossip on a oh, yeah. interplanetary level, and that's just gets my goat. Um, <laughs> but we'll see. I mean, there's there, yeah. more and more social sciences are entering into the space industry because um, mm. we're realizing you actually have to consider human factors. Mm -hmm. Not, just, I mean, human factors aside from he like health, like also how people interact. Um, Absolutely. So more and more, like uh, some of like my professors have been like consulted within projects, grant stuff. Uh, yeah. I think it's happening more and more. So, I mean, that would be the goal, but otherwise coasting, maybe tech adjacent, yep. I'm not sure, but social okay. research basically would be the goal. Cool. No, I, I think that's great. Um, going on the, the human aspect of space, I think mm -hmm. so from an HR perspective, I, the space industry is dying for people like, like yourself who, who actually want to do the people stuff because the engineers more often than not are not great with people so mm. um it takes a someone thinking completely differently to really balance that out um mm -hmm. so i would say like there's a lot of startups uh mm -hmm. space startups that could definitely use that kind of help there's yeah. also with america's ability to send astronauts into space and the you know the european space agency getting involved as well with SpaceX, there's a lot of human psychology and behavioral science that is going to be done from just to observe, like we're going to be spending more and more time in different places in space with human beings than we've ever done before. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. there's a lot of ground to be done there. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if that industry blows up uh, a lot. 
because yeah. once we start getting private astronauts, I mean, Blue Origin's already halfway there. So mm-hmm. if more of these companies start sending humans into space, there's going to be a huge need for that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, fingers crossed. If fingers anyone crossed. wants to hire me, you know, <laughs> reach out to Alex. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'll Jane. move if you need me. Yeah, to. no, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for coming on. It's been it's been yeah, a no problem. great it's been talking a with you. Um, any final thoughts for the folks out there on anything? I would say the only thing I would I would mention um, is just to maybe we need to consider a little bit um, the language we use around space. Like we were mm. talking earlier about like colonizing, <laughs> right? Settling like exploitation. I think we should mm. need to think a little bit about what that says about what we're, what are we're doing in space. Mm. That's the only thing I would say. I love that being being specific and focused on on the mission is huge because we are a bunch of emotional apes and we can we can get ourselves stuck in a weird scenario if we're not careful. Mm-hmm. And and language is a big big part of that as well. Yeah, definitely. Jane, thank you again for coming on. No problem. Thank you, Alex. Everybody, spread love and spread science. Have a great rest of your week, and we'll see you next time on Today in Space. Woo!